Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. How are you at handling conflict? Do you withdraw and avoid conflict at any cost? Do you rush in headlong, eager to set the other person straight? Are you a compromiser who looks at everything like a contract where both parties inevitably have to make trade-offs to get some advantage? As with so many really important aspects of life, we rarely receive any instruction on how to confront one another or deal with conflict in a constructive manner. I don't know about you, but I never took a class in that in school, and it wasn't something that we talked about a lot growing up. I think what we typically do is just absorb the examples that are around us, whether positive or negative, and hope that that one-size-fits-all way of dealing with people works out in our professional relationships, in our personal relationships, in our marriages, with our kids, with our parents, and sadly, a lot of times that doesn't end up being the case. In this episode, Dr. Jerry Weirwell reviews David Augsburger's book, Caring Enough to Confront. In this podcast, you'll learn the four main ways of dealing with conflict that are ineffective, as well as a biblically grounded strategy called carefronting that you may want to consider incorporating in your own life. Honestly, I was surprised at how little I knew (laughs) about this subject and how poorly I measured up when I got honest and considered my own recent conflicts that I've had with people in my life. This is one area of life where we neglect it at our own peril, and it's wise to hear what other Christians have figured out here so that we can become better at relating to one another and be a better witness for Christianity and for relational health in our own situations. So here now is interview number 13, with Jerry Werewolf, Caring Enough to Confront. Welcome to Restitutio, Jerry. Thanks, Sean. Glad to be here with you. Today we're talking about a really important part of Christian living, which is the whole idea of conflict resolution. And Jerry's going to share with us some of what David Augsburger wrote in his book, Caring Enough to Confront. And I think this topic will be very helpful for all of us because no matter what kind of relationships you have, conflict is inevitable. So uh, where would you like to get started? Well, as you said, Sean, you know, conflict kind of is inevitable in the sense that we're all humans and every single person is different. So we're not going to see eye to eye on, on everything in the entirety of life. So there's going to come a time at which you're going to form relationships, either uh, friendships, family, romantic relationships, professional relationships, whatever it may be, you're going to come to a point where you're going to have a difference of opinion with somebody else. Right. And and that's going to cause a conflict. And how you approach that conflict is critical in determining the outcome of the relationship and whatever conclusion is reached. So uh, Augsburger, he really deals with uh, conflict resolution in a sense that he likes to talk about it in the sense of conflict transformation. Okay. He wants to... Uh, help the reader approach conflict in a different way, a healthy way. 
uh, a way that he's going to outline and I'll, I'm go through them ways that demonstrate your care for the other person when the conflict comes. His whole premise of the book is how to change the dynamics of the way that you engage in, in conflicting situations. And he has this, this book, Caring Enough to Confront, and he kind of coins this new term in the book called carefronting. And, okay. <laughs> and what, yeah, it's a little, it's interesting. What he considers as carefronting is about offering a, a genuine caring that lifts and supports and encourages the other person in conflict. What he says about carefronting is that you have to be upfront with important facts that can call out new awarenesses, insights, and understanding when the conflict arises. For him, he says that carefronting is arguably the most valuable secret for reforming the way that we approach conflict. He says here in um, Caring Enough to Confront, he says, to care and be clear at the same time is mature relating. To be truly for the other and to stand for what you value with the other without sacrificing either is not just to be adept at interpersonal communication, it is what it means to be an adult. And the twin abilities of one, concern for the other, and two, commitment to one's freely chosen goals do not need to be sacrificed, compromised, or conflicted. They can both be sought in harmony and helpful assertiveness. Most people view conflict as a problem. When a conflict arises, they're like, uh-oh, we have a disagreement. Mm -hmm. And it almost has, looked in the, has a very negative stigma attached to it. Definitely. But the, the key to think about, he says, is how can you demonstrate that you care for the other person and work through the conflict to the point where it actually becomes an advantage that you can use to form a new relationship or a new type of dynamic in your relationship? It's, this is a very fresh way of looking at conflict. I mean... When I think of conflict, I think of that feeling I get in my stomach when it's tied in knots or that sense of relational pain that I'm anticipating as a result of this conflict. And even the way Augsburger talks about this is very different from the way I think about it. I think it's better how <laughs> he's talking about it because the way I think of conflict is something that I have to deal with from time to time. And what he's looking at it as, he's looking at it as an opportunity. That's really fresh. Yeah. And what was really interesting is he has a list here of five ways to view conflict. And he wants the reader to kind of identify where they fall in, ah. in viewing conflict. And the first way is that a person would view conflict as just a, a given of life. Not like it's inevitable, just something that is supposed to be there. Like you, you're just supposed to, uh, it's a matter of fate, so to say. You can't really figure out conflict. You just have to live with it, suck it up, and, and just kind of like bear it with it. And in this sense, you people usually tend to kind of like avoid and withdraw from conflict because they just there's like, what solution is there? It's just we conflict, that's it, you know? It's almost like a kind of like a, a quitter's attitude. Uh, another one would be that conflict is just an inevitable issue between trying to establish what's right and what's wrong. People like this are typically conflict prone because they're uh, they're concerned a lot about pressuring and forcing and type of and kind of winning an argument. A third way is that people will view conflict as a, a very crushing or threatening situation. People like this are typically conflict shy. They try and avoid the conflict uh, altogether or try to sort of yield in the conflict. 
they find it to be very disastrous and hurtful and they usually become accommodating or do things to alleviate the tension and make things more comfortable. A fourth way is that they see it as like a matter of mutual difference, that conflict is just two different sides to uh, two different sides of the coin and you need to compromise. Somebody gives a little here, you take a little there. It's like a give and take, uh, but it's more like a contract mentality in that sense. And then the fifth way is what he's gonna propose is he says that conflict is natural, neutral, and normal. And conflict should be about collaboration and caring for the other person to have a joint solution uh, uh, developed. Wow, that's really an interesting list. Uh, let me just ask a couple questions so I can get it clear in my own head here. Um, the first one you said is conflict as a given. Is that somebody who wants to avoid conflict? And how is that different from somebody who views it as crushing, threatening? Yeah, a good question. Um, the conflict as a given is sort of that they, they view conflict as just part of, of life. They view it as sort of uh, that people are incompatible who conflict. Okay. And so it's just something that's there. So these are the, the agree to disagree people. To agree and disagree, you can still have a relationship. These people are kind of like, if we conflict, let's just not work at it. Let's look at conflict as though it's just kind of like something, it's like an oil and water thing. You're not going to mix them. If you have conflict, just kind of uh, find somebody else, so to say. Make a different relationship where the conflict doesn't exist. It's a very unrealistic type of attitude, I think, because you're never going to end up getting away from it. Like, there's no, there's no way around the conflict. Yeah. I think I understand what you're saying. Let's use a concrete example to illustrate these. What if you have a married couple, a husband and a wife, and let's say they disagree about how they spend money, because financial disagreement is very common among married folks. Mm-hmm. And... Let's say that we're dealing with somebody in position one here who looks at conflict as as a given, as just something that can't really be overcome. Would you say that in that situation, somebody dealing with it in that way would just get divorced and find somebody else that didn't conflict with them or hope to find somebody else that was more compatible? Or what would you say that somebody in category one would do? I'm surprised they would be married in the first place. Okay. <laughs> because in category one, they look very um, skeptically at life with conflict in, in mind. And they probably would never reach the point where they would find themselves getting married to somebody because conflict would arise before that time, most likely. Right. And so conflict is basically a relational deal breaker in this mindset. Yeah. Okay. And then category two there is conflicts inevitable and hey, you just got to confront people. That's, that's part of life. These are, like you said, the people that are conflict prone. And I think in a marriage situation like that, if one of the two spouses was in that category, they would constantly be confronting the other person about the financial impropriety that they perceived. Mm-hmm. And they would also try to uh, impose their perspective on them as though the way that they feel that money should be spent is the right way it should be spent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're fairly intolerant type of people. Yeah. Like my way or the highway. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then category three, this is the person who in, say for our example of marriage, would just not bring it up, would always just kind of shy away from the topic Maybe they felt uncomfortable or they would bring it up in a way that um, maybe like through an email or a, a text. 
as opposed to a direct face-to-face kind of conversation? Yeah, these people probably wouldn't really even be passive-aggressive. They would more or less just try to skirt the issue. They okay. uh, they would accommodate. They would yield. They would submit. They would uh, do whatever is necessary to try to have the conflict be moved out of the way. Peace at any cost. Mm-hmm. And then category four is the compromisers. It's like, all right, well, I want to let's work this out. I want to spend this money on this bill, and you want to spend it on this. Let's uh, let's meet in the middle. That kind of a position. Yeah, I, th- I think that would, that's about right. Also, kind of like you know, if if you do that, then I want to do this, and it's right. almost like a a bar. They use it as a, as a bargaining chip, not to try to uh, find a place of of good balance, but more or less they want to find a place of equality. Okay, like the contract of that. If you get if you get something, then I want to get something. Right, looking at everything as a equitable transaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like I know people in all these categories. I, and then the last one is uh, this this exciting Augsburger position uh, that we'll, I'm sure, get into in a second here. I'm just trying to think of what I am in this list. Yeah. So, Sean, how how do you, <laughs> I how don't do you know. handle conflict? What do you if somebody would come to you and say they have a problem with with X in your life or what you did? A lot of it usually comes as how they approach it. And Augsburg is going to touch on, you know, the way that we engage in conflict says a lot about who we are yeah. and how we view the other person. Yeah. Let me use a recent instance to just run this through my head. Generally speaking, I much prefer to avoid conflict than to face it. I'm more likely to let things go too long than to jump on it right away, generally speaking. There are exceptions to that where I have I have confronted people like right away because it was that important to me. Recently, I confronted a, a close friend who I felt had done something inappropriate, but they they had done it a while ago. And so I put it off and put it off. And then I'm like, I, I just needed to either compromise or accommodate and just like let it go forever or finally face it. And so I chose to finally face it. And it definitely did not go well, but because I had waited so long, but it was, I still felt good about it in the sense that I knew I needed to confront this person and clear the air. And I, I genuinely did it because I cared about them. It, it wasn't to protect myself or, or something else, but it, it was just, it was just too late. And I feel like I really dropped the ball. <laughs> So I don't know where that where that leaves me on here. I feel like I my default is to to just avoid conflict, but then in, in certain situations I, I will I will step up to the plate and and deal with it directly. I probably should get better at conflict personally, honestly. I, I think we're all <laughs> I think we're all fairly handicapped when it comes to conflict. It's one of those unnatural things like public speaking that very few people are just naturally adept at yeah you know so there's a there's a term that uh my sister-in-law they taught her in the retail biz as she became a manager and they said you should never say this is probably a conflict strategy you should never say somebody stinks at something or somebody but instead you should always say you have a significant opportunity for improvement here (laughs) which is kind of a funny way to put it but i feel like that in regards to this subject. So I'm excited uh, to hear what uh, you have to say and what Augsburger has to say. 
Yeah, Augsburger will address that. That uh, that's one of the downfalls and conflicts is when we, when we start um, attacking the other person. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he'll address that. Uh, the other thing he talks about in the in, toward the beginning of the book is about how people typically respond to conflict, not just how they view it, but what they do, like what their attitude toward it is when they're in it is. Uh, one would be, I'll get them, and that's the, kind of the win-lose attitude. And these roughly correspond to the views that we just listed. The second one is like, I'll get out. It's the avoidance, like I'll get away. I want to escape. Uh, the third one, I'll give in, which is the yield or submit. The fourth one, I'll meet you halfway. It's kind of like the, let's uh, do a 50-50 bargain here. And then the fifth one is, I care enough to confront you and to recreate the relationship. And Augsburger calls that the joint creativity uh, response. So Augsburger feels that this fifth way, this um, caring enough to confront or care fronting, as he says, is really the more effective way for conflict resolution. And it's the most effective way, he says, because it's really the truly the most loving way and it's the most growth promoting for human relationships. And it balances the concern for the relationship, but also the concern for the issue. Where typically in conflict, we kind of just get totally, the issue eclipses our entire uh, view and we kind of see that as really the hurdle. And we sort of forget that there's a person that we're talking to and we sometimes, like if we more assertive people, would tend to uh, kind of just bulldoze the person while they're trying to resolve the conflict, not realizing that what they're saying or how they're approaching it is actually hurting the relationship while they're trying to solve the problem in the relationship. So you're saying that our default for many of us is to be so issue focused that we disregard how what we're saying and and how we're dealing with this issue and figuring it out is affecting the person. There is probably another side of that too, where there are some people's personalities that are so harmony seeking that all they care about is the person. It's like whatever the conflict is, and that's probably that more accommodating, I'll get out of this no matter how I can kind of position. But as Christians who are called to love our enemies, to love our neighbors as Christ loved, we don't really have the option of looking at issues like this or looking at conflict as a cool scientific process apart from the how it affects the person we're, we're just not allowed to do that we, we we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves and part of showing love to our neighbor is dealing with conflict in a way that is considerate so that's that's really important yeah and the the way that augsburg is approaching this is he's approaching it from that people are more important than the problem and that's why his, his care fronting or the way that he's saying caring enough to confront that uh, caring for the person should be the foundation of how you are approaching conflict and conflict resolution. Yeah. And like, you know, what Paul writes in Romans 13, you know, uh, when he quotes uh, the commandment that you should love your neighbor as yourself, he says, you know, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so Augsburger sees the way that we love each other in conflict really should be the that should be the driving force for how we actually work to resolve conflict and that requires us to be to be caring for the person more than the issue yeah i think there's probably a perception out there that many have that love is kindness love is gentleness love is not going through conflict so you have love and then you have conflict in two separate categories yeah, but that's a false dichotomy, and I, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. 
and people people tend to think that when you're in a disagreement that it's it's difficult and i think it is true it's difficult to really exhibit love when you're in a, a true disagreement and both parties feel very passionately about the disagreement and their own perspectives so i think that's what augsburger is trying to get at is that there is a way through mm-hmm. but a lot of people uh, don't know how to do it and they'll either opt for trying to steamroll the person and get their way or they'll just try to kind of like yield and back out or they'll try and do a contract mentality or something like that Hmm. i think a lot of us too have not done well in conflict where we have steamrolled or we have yielded too much and either way you don't go away from it feeling very good because if you steamroll somebody you might get what you want and I've definitely been in this category, so I'll just own that. Uh, but now the relationship is strained or broken, depending on who we're talking about. And if you yield, yeah, the conflict's over. But you know, a few days down the line, a few weeks down the line, the issue is still there because you just yielded on it. It didn't change. Mm-hmm. So either way, I feel like there's just so much negativity surrounding the subject of conflict for many of us that uh you know and here's what's crazy too we never nobody gets any training on this i mean here's something that you're going to deal with the rest of your life and at least i'll speak for myself i received no training on this and most of our examples that we have growing up depending on what your parents are like are one of these four less than optimal categories. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is really, this is really important. Well, one of the things that I learned from Augsburger myself is that he uses this concept he calls truthing. And it's, it's a way to view how you should approach your communication in conflict. And he says here, I want to read an excerpt. He says, a relationship is only as strong as its communication is clear. Good relationship is two-way communication. When one side of the conversation is deeply troubled, the relationship is stressed. When one side is lost, the relationship is dying. To the degree that equal responsiveness is lost, to that extent the relationship ceases to exist. To love another is to invite, support, and protect that person's equal right to hear and be heard. To love is to listen, to be loved, is to be fully heard. Love is the is first the action of the eyes attending, the ears attuning, and then the soul connecting. And one of the things that he talks about as the basis for this care fronting in order to transform conflict is about hearing the other person and honoring the other person. His contention is that only the fifth option of care fronting as the, the view and the joint creativity as the response to conflict, only that approach really fulfills that criteria. In a lot of conflict, that does not happen. You have, oftentimes there's a person who wants to bring up the issue, and then another person who is on the defensive, okay? So if I'm bringing up an issue with somebody, I want, I want to be heard because I'm bringing up the issue. Yeah. And I don't really want to hear what the other person has to say because they're, they're the one that's wrong here. I'm confronting them. And if they come out with some sort of 
tale that they spin out about how they're really not to blame, I, I don't really want to hear that. What I want to hear is them take responsibility, them say they're going to change, and me be right because I took the trouble to bring it up. However, that is, <laughs> that is not at all what you just said there, equal right to hear and be heard. So I feel like it, this is really more on the side that's, that feels like the victim of whatever the issue is, needs to be willing to listen to the side that is the perceived offender to hear where they were coming from and be willing to put themselves in the other person's shoes a little bit, however hard that might be. There's a whole section and whole chapter of the book that Augsburger dedicates to the blaming and shaming game that really is disastrous and, and kind of like ruins conflict because it, it turned the attention away from the matter at hand to trying to identify fault. And that typically is almost always an ego issue. It's a matter of pride. So you're saying that whoever's at fault is not significant for resolving the issue. Oh, he's saying that making that the center point deviates from how to resolve the conflict healthily. Okay. A lot of times the blame is usually already explicit. You know, if you're talking about your your brother who drove your car last night and ran into a curb, it's pretty obvious he was the one at fault for doing it. Right. Now, to try to degrade him in the process of, of the conflict because you're upset right. is to completely miss the issue at hand, which is, so how are you guys going to handle the repair? How are you going to handle now the arrangement if he wants to borrow your car in the future? How you feel about him? You know, he probably wants to know if, you, if, if you're ups, really upset with him or yeah. if you forgive him or, you know. So those are the issues that are relationship issues. Those are what matters is Augsburger's uh, point, really. I think it goes along with what Paul writes in, in Philippians chapter 2, when he says, you know, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility uh, count or regard others more significant or more important than yourself. I think it's this idea that Augsburger is getting at that conflict, if you are concerned about the other person, if you care for the other person, then that will really transform the way that you enter into conflict because you will be concerned about the other person more than yourself in the sense that you will want to make sure that they're doing okay. You'll want to care for the status of the relationship and the health of the relationship more than getting your way, getting your point across and winning the argument. This is definitely something that we find all over the epistles of Paul in particular, this whole idea of other regard and genuinely expressing concern for somebody that is different than you. You know, when you're, when you're trying to work through a conflict, yeah, this, you know, care fronting or caring enough to confront and, and things like that is really the, the optimal way. But sometimes a relationship can't really start that way. It takes a little bit to get to that point where both people are willing to work through conflict in that manner. And he says that, you know, you have to be sensitive to what the relationship can bear because that's part of caring as well. If the relationship is not at a point where certain types of honesty or things like that can be engendered, you know, and tolerated or anything like that, if there's, for example, past hurt 
if there's other types of trauma that haven't really been taken care of yet in a person's life, they need to be handled in a different way. But that's all part of, of caring for the person and trying to work through the conflict in a way that is best for both of you and that doesn't slight either side. Mm-hmm. Augsburger uh, talks about listening and speaking being the two parts of a conflict, you know, when you come together and try to be like, well, so what do we do now? The way you listen and the way you speak, he says, is critical to being able to work through the conflict. And the problem with listening is that a lot of us, when we're listening, we're really not listening for what the person is saying. We're usually in a conflict. We're usually listening for what their point is so we can counterpoint it. Mm-hmm. His thing is that we have tendencies to either read interpretations into what somebody's saying or we read out what they're saying and just totally miss what they're saying because we don't want to hear what they're saying. It's like we're going to do the selective hearing. And to hear someone on a deep level is to connect with what they're saying and to some extent feel what they feel, have some sort of empathy. If you really hear, as one of my professors in seminary says, you have to hear beyond the words. You have to hear what the person is truly saying, not just in the words themselves. But when you have that connection, there really is an aspect of empathy that can be produced when you truly listen. Yeah, that's a tough one. If I'm having an argument with somebody, I really struggle to listen because I am so focused on what I'm going to say next that I just, I'm waiting for them to breathe so that I can make my point. And I don't want to lose my point. <laughs> so that it makes it really hard to listen effectively. <laughs> yeah. That- it's definitely an aspect of you have to have a certain degree of patience involved when you when you really form listening in your life. The opposite side with speaking is, you know, he makes this one one point that I think was really profound. He says that meanings are in people, not in words. And so what he's saying is that people use words to try to communicate meaning, but the meaning is the words are like a vehicle to communicate the meaning and, and words can be misunderstood really easily. And so if we're, if we're only just trying to listen a uh, sh- very shallow level, like superficially, a lot of times we will completely misunderstand what the person's trying to say, because we're not listening for the meaning that, th- that is inside them. We're just trying to hear their little, whatever their argument might be, their current statement and pass over possibly trying to relate on a deeper level. And he says that people use the words to convey meaning, but what we must do is be honest as possible about our experiences. And when we speak honestly about ourselves, if we don't really convey how we feel because we're afraid what the other person might think, and this is the balance between, you know, real blunt honesty versus just a nice, clear honesty, is that it's one of the most cruel things that you can do to someone is to not be real with them, not be honest with how you feel for fear of how it might affect the relationship. Why does he say that's cruel? He says it's cruel because for the relationship, to not be honest is to not allow the other person the opportunity to flourish in the relationship like they would if you were honest with them. And also to not enjoy what could be produced through the joint creativity of care fronting. Well, let me ask you this. How do you decide when it's important to confront somebody and when you should just let it go? That's the golden question right there. (laughs) That's a walk of wisdom and an aspect of each relationship's dynamic as it stands. There's a a life cycle for relationships where they they grow in and in proportion can handle more of the burden of a conflict and a deeper conflict. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it's like when you're when you're dating or something and you have a relationship, you may not bring up some of these super heavy topics at that time because you're trying to get to know other facets of the person and you don't have to operate on that level as like a married couple might. Or if you have a friend, um, you would probably be willing to endure a lot more pressure from them to resolve a conflict than maybe you would from a casual acquaintance of which you, you don't often have to have interaction with. So it's really hard to actually answer that question. Yeah. So let's talk about how to do conflict. What, uh, what are the steps involved in that? So the question usually would come up then as we've been talking here. So what, what do we do about conflict when we're in it to have that care for the other person that Jesus kind of exemplified and that we're encouraged to, to have as Christians. Well, Augsburger, first of all, says that caring is a commitment to create a context of support for another, to be a voice of encouragement to another, to stand in solidarity with another. A context of caring must come before confrontation. A sense of support must be present before criticism. An experience of empathy must precede evaluation. A basis of trust must be laid before one risks advising. A floor of affirmation must undergird any assertiveness. A gift of understanding opens the way to disagreeing. And an awareness of love sets us free to level with each other. I think this is a very biblical approach because we're taught to, to be very careful with how we, we talk to one another. Uh, Paul writes in Colossians 4 that you know, we're to have our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. And we're to be kind to one another in Ephesians 4 and to forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven us. There's this need to have a commitment, and Augsburger calls it like a covenant of commitment to be able to approach the conflict with sincerity. But Augsburger then talks about, well, when you're in conflict, one of the really important aspects is about how we focus on what people are telling us. Whenever we have conflict, there's always, there's always a feedback where the other person responds to what you're saying or you respond to what the other person is saying. And he gives these eight tips for how, how to respond and to focus on feedback properly. Uh, the first one is that you shouldn't focus on the actor, like the person, but on the action or what is done. Because when we, when we talk about the person, we usually start attacking the person rather than really talking about the issue. Mm -hmm. uh, we should not also focus on our conclusions, but on what, what we observe, our observations, what we see. We shouldn't focus on our judgments, but on descriptions about what the problem is, not upon what we think should happen. We need to focus on quality, not quantity. And what that this one's important because it's a matter of when you say somebody is something, that's a quality you're attaching to the person, and usually it's a personal attack. When you talk about quantity, you say, you seem to talk more this way, or you've been doing this more often lately. Right, so instead of calling somebody big mouth, say, you've been talking a lot. Yeah, you've been talking, you know, more than everybody else in the conversations if somebody make it relative yeah, yeah. so that's the quantity uh, we should also not focus the feedback on advice and answers like telling the person that this is what they need to be doing but more on ideas information and possibly alternative courses of understanding the problem 
Uh, also, not to focus on the amount available uh, for us uh, or for you as a giver, if you're the one who is initiating the conflict, but actually on what's useful for the receiver. For sometimes if you barrage somebody with too much information or you inundate them with all these different ideas, they can get lost in, in what you're saying. Right. So you kind of have to just uh, be careful of how much the person can usefully receive. Number seven is that you shouldn't focus your feedback on the time that's easiest for you to be able to give it, but on what's the right and what's the best and most optimal time for the receiver to be able to receive the feedback you're giving them. And then probably the most important one, this eighth one here is that we're not to focus our feedback on the why question, to ask it or to answer it, but on what and how to try to gain an understanding because a lot of uh, conflict is usually caused by misunderstandings. And if you can understand what and how, it usually makes the why question irrelevant. But obviously, like we've been saying, is that this isn't like just an ironclad rule. It has to be a case taken on a case-by-case basis. But then what we come to is really the guidelines that Augsburger gives for how to really you know, con- have this conflict and confront people with the right caring attitude, kind of like a Jesus confrontation type of thing. Mm-hmm. And he gives five guidelines for how to care front. The first one is to confront caringly. And as we've been talking about, this is to really put the care of the person before the addressing the conflict. The second one is to confront gently. And this is to be conscious of how much the other person can bear, how uh, stark you can make some of your statements. Uh, also, how intense the conflict can be. You know, some people, the intensity as it rises, if, if it escalates at all, it could could be go above their kind of like their limit to be able to tolerate the tension or the disagreement level or even the content of the disagreement. Yeah, there's actually a phenomenon in the brain that happens when the intensity gets to a certain point where the blood rushes away from the part that deals with creativity and problem solving and you go into fight or flight mode. And I've been in situations where I'm having conflict with somebody and I find myself tripping over my words. I feel inadequate to propose any creative solutions to the problem. And I feel very boxed in, like I I need to get out or I need to lash out one or the other. And in in those cases, once that, I mean, that's a physiological phenomenon. Once that happens, you're done. This is, I'm kind of leaning on some of what uh, Dr. Marianne Yukonis has shared with me in her understanding of how the brain works. And basically what she says there is that you're done. You need to, you need to get out of that situation you have to allow your brain chemistry to return to normal levels, and then you can go back to it. Mm-hmm. And so the, the whole idea of like taking breaks, if it does reach that point, and being cognizant that the other person might need a break, or you might need a break, and that that doesn't mean you're not going to actually resolve this. It just means you just need to take a break, and then you come back. Yeah, it's, it's really a kind of like amazing the way the brain does work. And it, it kind of works against us sometimes, especially when we get into that uh, sense of fight or flight or our prefrontal cortex with our cognitive functions of being able to make decisions rationally gets overridden a lot of times by the release of hormones and things like that. And right. then we say something hurtful that we don't even really mean. And now that makes the situation so much worse. We're farther away from getting to where we want to be. Yeah, it's, it's very self-defeating if you're trying to resolve the conflict. 
You know, I think also the idea about confronting gently kind of falls in line with uh, something like from the letter of James when he writes, you know, to be quick to listen, but slow to speak and slow to anger. And I like the follow up, you know, the causal clause for the anger of man or the anger of a person does not produce the righteousness of God that, you know, to be able to confront gently, we kind of have to we have to be ourselves and be in control of ourselves and, and not let our emotions run out of hand. You know, you're a New Testament translator. When you throw around phrases like the causal clause, Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> you can edit that out. <laughs> no, I thought, I thought it was great. I, I okay. quite enjoyed it. <laughs> All right. And so let's go on to the, the third uh, guideline that Augsburger gives is to confront constructively. And this is probably one of the most difficult guidelines because we think we're doing a good thing a lot of times by pointing out aspects of the issue and the conflict. But to be constructive in, in the way we're pointing out is to, we have to be aware that the, how the conflict is being interpreted. And usually that comes with a lot of kind of checks and balances to make sure the other person is hearing you and you're hearing the other person. And to also make sure that you're not sliding into kind of like a blaming, shaming, punishing, or ridiculing mode where you try to uh, sort of have the other person begin to concede their side in order for you to have the upper hand. And it's almost a, a human nature for us to kind of want to try to get that to that place. To be constructive rather than, I mean, most times in conflict, you're trying to get your point across. It's almost like you're trying to defeat the various arguments the other person raises so that you win. Your, or you, not that you win, but that you sustain your grievance. But to be constructive is 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 pretty fresh i I think that really is is uh uh, that would be a game changer i mean a lot of the any probably any one of the things you've said so far would be a game changer for most of us (laughs) to have like an angle towards like a constructive resolution that's a very helpful mindset i think i really think that that confronting constructively really is the heart of this care fronting especially when you look at it from the angle that augsburger is pointing out that when you care about the other person, you're trying to work through conflict, you want to have what he calls this joint creativity. He uses the word collaboration because he thinks compromise is a very negative connotation where he you know, attributes that to kind of like the contract mentality of like you get some, I get some type of thing. So he likes this collaboration, joint creativity solution. Let's move forward together. Let's find our way together. Um, not a win or lose or my way, your way, or um, I don't really care. Help me, get me out of here. Yeah. So, you know, being constructive is about trying to produce something better after you're done than what you had before. Yeah. And and that's that's how to really move relationships forward, because when you have too much conflict in a relationship, it can really start building up barriers. People will start putting up walls and your relationship will will start ceasing to grow. And you, you might actually start forming a separation between you two. Yeah. I was thinking you, there are really two issues in the conflict, one is understanding what happened. Uh, let's say I'm fighting with my brother about messing up my car, the example you gave before, which never happened, by the way. But uh, there are really two things. One is understanding. And, okay, so let, let's set it up a little bit more. Let's say he borrowed my car, he messed up the wheel or something, and then he didn't pay to fix it, and he's he's not going to. And that's what our conflict is. And I'm saying... You know, you you broke it, so you have to fix it, right? And he's and he's he's got his own perspective. He's he's going to say maybe, uh, well, if you told me there was a blind spot in the car, then 
that wouldn't have happened. Or if you gave me better directions, then I would not have hit that curve. I don't know what his, what his side of it would be. Or maybe I broke his car and didn't fix it. Okay, so he's got his own side. So there are really two things. One is I need to understand, I really want to understand what his point of view is, why he decided to do what he did, in this case, not fix the car. And then I want him to understand why I have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. Why I, what are the principles that I'm holding to, the ethic that I ground my outrage in? And so that's like step one. And then step two, or aspect number two, is how do we do better next time something similar happens? That's that constructive part of it where, all right, next time he knows if he's going to borrow the car... That my understanding is if, if it comes back in any way, in, in worse shape than he received it, that I'm going to have a problem with that and I'm going to hold him accountable to that. So if I give him the car and it's got half a tank of gas, he gives it back and it's got a quarter tank of gas. I'm not saying I'm like this, but I, just in this scenario, right? Yeah. Then he knows that I'm going to be upset going forward. So then he can either challenge me on that and willingly go into conflict or he can fill it up to half a tank of gas or try to bless me and put it up to full, right? Or if he breaks it, he gets it fixed and that sort of thing uh, going forward. And, and then at least like if he, if he chooses not to do that in the future, at least he knows that this is going to be an issue and that he's taking his life into his hands. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, everybody has the choice to make on, on if they want to positively influence the relationship or not. And your brother has you know the volition to to deteriorate the relationship if he doesn't care right. about yeah. you know f- you know honoring you with with fixing your vehicle and and things like that. So yeah, that's definitely part of the con- you know being constructive is trying to lay out the guidelines, having um, don't have uh, hidden expectations, things like that. So I'm move on, moving on here, and the fourth one is to confront respectfully. Now, this would be if you're really upset at your brother and he comes back with a ding in your fender, you have to recognize that he probably didn't want to ding your fender. Like, he didn't want to cause damage to your vehicle. So to attack him would be to assume that he was trying to maliciously damage your vehicle and, like, bring it back and be like, ha, here you go. You know, but to respectfully confront is to... Uh, respect the intentions of their person and to seek to understand them rightly and kind of like it's almost like to give them the benefit of the doubt until you understand what really happened and and their side of the story and then the last one really really quick here is to confront clearly and this is to just be open and honest to have that clear communication with what you're trying to say and I, I like what he what Augsburger says he says let the facts be the facts let the feelings be the feelings, your interpretations, the, your interpretations and your conclusions, your conclusions. And don't start, don't mix all those together. And so what that is about is just trying to be straight up with the other person that if you have good intentions and you want to work through this conflict, if you care about the other person, you will kind of try to keep your, your ducks in a row, so to say, to try to help them understand what is the problem from your end, for you to try to hear them, understand what the problem is from their end, and to try to, as clearly as possible, articulate what is going on and how you feel that the situation has affected you and what you think then can be done to try to bring you guys together, resolve it, move on, and have a stronger relationship than you did before. 
because there's nothing like going through adversity or going through disagreements to try to form better understanding and closer bonds, you know, in human relationships. It's, it's a really kind of a cool psychological thing. I think God has, has built into us that when we struggle through something, we're stronger on the other side than we were when we started. Yeah, that, I've definitely experienced that a lot in my life where you go through something and now the relationship's stronger. Remind us again, what are the five? Just uh, cruise through that list. Sure. Confront caringly, confront gently, confront constructively, confront respectfully, and confront clearly. And I think that those five, as we've laid them out, and those kind of just fill out some of the other discussion that we've been having about from Augsburger's book here, uh, I think those really can revolutionize the way that, that we approach conflict and really transform the conflict. And I want to close here with um, one of his quotes here at the end of the book about the Jesus way of, con- of confrontation. Cool. Augsburger says, The Jesus way of love in actions of ultimate concern for others is the one course of action that is of infinite value. The Jesus way of loving deeds is a lifestyle of living for, unshakably for, unconditionally for, unreservedly for the highest good for others. People matter most. Those who live in the Jesus way of love act in mutual equal regard, not because it is the safe thing to do. It doesn't guarantee either success or survival, nor because it is the brilliant thing to do. It seldom is the clever strategy or the pragmatic route of common sense. They act in love because it is the Jesus thing to do, the Jesus way to live, the Jesus kind of loving. And since he alone has triumphed in the one permanent victory of all time, love acted out on a cross, his way is the only way that is certain to triumph totally, finally, ultimately, eternally. Yeah. I would call it transformative love as well, because one always has the choice to not respond to love, but the Jesus way opens up the possibility for incredible transformation to occur. I mean, I can just speak for myself, understanding, coming to grips with Romans 5, 9, you know, that God loved through His Son, you know, that Christ died for us that while we were yet sinners to demonstrate God's love, and obviously also Christ's love, that, that experiencing that Jesus kind of love when I was yet an enemy of God is, is precisely what opened up the possibility for transformation that I've experienced in my own life. And for so many others around the world in so many different cultures and languages and places. So it's definitely not a guarantee. It's definitely not necessarily going to lend towards success in life. I mean, it could, but it, it, it does open up the possibility for genuine transformation and to have relationships that are healthy and not manipulative and not dysfunctional. And I think that's what the kingdom is all about is enjoying that age when I'm talking about when Jesus comes back, the future kingdom, when we do live in harmony with each other and that we do get, um, we do get what's going on with each other and can act out of consideration towards each other. And I think as a church, we're called to do that now as a testimony of that age to come. Indeed. Well, that was very well put, Sean. And I think you're absolutely right that it's really about seeing ourselves as as kingdom citizens and living that way in this current age as we look forward to the age to come. 
And I think that conflict is one of those areas that the adversary really schemes a lot to disrupt and destroy uh, God's people and, and relationships. And so I think that the more we can try to seek to to find ourselves transforming our, our conflict, the, the more we'll be able to strive for that unity of the love, as, as Paul writes about in Ephesians, and to try to grow up into the head, which is Christ. So I just think it's a, I think it's a super important uh, concept. I learned a lot from Augsburger's book. And if any of you out there uh, are interested, I, I suggest you pick it up. It's a short read. Uh, and it, it can really change the way you see yourself in relationships and, and how you promote the, a healthy conflict uh, resolution. Well, thank you so much, Jerry, for another exciting episode of Restitutio Interviews. And uh, I look forward to getting together on another episode in the future. (laughs) So uh, thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Sean. I look forward to it as well. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, how would they do that? If if anybody would like to to reach me, uh, they can at uh, jerryweirwell.com. That's J E R R Y. W-I-E-R-W-I-L-L-E.com. And uh, my email is just contact at jerrywirble.com. And what kind of stuff do you have on your website that people could engage with? Uh, I typically just kind of like blog on there a little bit about um, Christian themes and topics. I also have a, a page with some some research, uh, biblical research that I've done. And uh, I have post some sermons on there. Um, I'm working to develop a resource page for electronic resources. And uh, I also would like to try and do a devotional, which is in process. But, you know, it's, it's just kind of like a, a little personal site for me to, to throw up some of my musings. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. Yep. Thanks for taking the time to listen to that. I hope that it challenged you. I hope that it got you thinking about this subject. You may want to get a hold of David Augsburger's book, Caring Enough to Confront, if you want to pursue this further, or get into conversation with... Jerry Werewolf on his website, jerrywerewolf.com, as you just mentioned, and take a look at some of his other resources. You can also look at interview number one that I did with Jerry on emotionally healthy spirituality, where he reviewed another book, or interview two, where he talked about interpreting the Bible, a subject known as hermeneutics. So you can check out those at restitutio.org. Just click on the podcast tab, and you'll be able to see an archive of all our previous shows. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in. And while you're on the website, jump on to our email list, and we'll send you a free ebook, and you'll be able to stay up to date with new episodes as they come out. Once again, that's restitutio.org. Thanks so much, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.